TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the morning briefing for Tuesday, February 20th, 2018. Super producer JQ's here sitting in the driver's seat because host Eric Dame has been tasked out to do some wonderful stuff this week, but unfortunately it's going to be taking him away from his hosting duties. So guess what? You get me all week. Isn't that great? It's great, right? Like, you're not, like, upset or anything, are you? Because that would be bad. And, uh, uh, anyway... Uh, we had a <laughs> we had a great show for you today. It's Tuesday, which means Justin Brown from Hillbets will be in the studio telling us the latest goings on on Capitol Hill that involves the veteran community. And later on in the show, we're going to have Megan Myers. Now she is a reporter for the Army Times, and she'll be telling us about some possibly welcome changes to the U.S. Army basic training. Now, as a former drill sergeant, I'm very interested in that. And you know what you should be interested interested in? Following us on social media. You get it? See, that's what we call a transition in the business. <laughs> anyway, yes, follow us on social media. We are on we are on all the big four, and I'm not talking about Metallica and them. I'm talking about the big four on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. So follow us. You'll get the latest goings on in the veteran community. You'll know as soon as something pops off, because and you can trust us because we are the veteran community. Everyone here at ConnectingVets.com is either a veteran or veteran adjacent meaning that we are part of the community. So helping you helps us. So it's this big, you know, the whole circle of life thing, I guess you could say. Anyway, so let's check out what's going on around the world of veteran news. We'll start with the story that's on ConnectingVets.com by our own Matt Saintsing. Like a breath of air, court finds burn pits caused lung disease. If you deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan any time during the last 16 years, chances are you spent some time around a burn pit. As a result, thousands of returning service members later suffered from severe lung and respiratory issues. Now, I know that I did, too, because there was a big burn pit uh, about, uh, see, how far I was, about maybe 100, 150 meters from our CHOOS, which is the our, our the housing units where we stay here on uh, Fob Merez in Sauter, not Sauter City. Uh, God, where were we? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Mosul. That's right, Mosul in Iraq. And so you could always, there was always that stench in the air of burning plastic and stuff like that. So it was not fun. And at the time they just told us, hey, suck it up. You'll be fine. Yeah, not so much. However, uh, a judge in the U- under the U.S. Department of Labor offices for workers' compensation programs has ruled that open-air burn pits that release thousands of toxic chemicals into the air the military was breathing are connected to respiratory disease, according to a Fox News report. Everything from classified computer hard drives to excess uniforms and equipment to human waste were thrown into piles, doused usually with jet fuel, JP-8, 
and set ablaze throughout the U.S. military bases and combat outposts in Iraq and Afghanistan over the course of the conflicts there. I think we all, someone, if you deployed at some point, you or someone you know had to burn the poop bucket. And you know how it was. There was like, we had these, uh, like I remember at one combat outpost, Cop Hotel in uh, Missoula, we had a, we had built like with wood some outhouses and there was just a hole and there was a bucket underneath. And so you would, you know, do your business. And then once the things got to the point where it was smelling too bad, you'd pull it out, pour a, a couple gallons of JP8 in there, light it on fire. And you can't just let it light it and walk away. No, you got to keep stirring it so everything gets nice and burned. And it was just its gross, disgusting. And again, you're breathing all them fumes, and it's just, it's a bad time. But this report tells us that you could be getting some compensation for that. The ruling could be a huge victory for more than 130,000 active duty troops and veterans who placed their names on a burn pit registry maintained by the Department of Veteran Affairs, bringing them closer to getting medical coverage for, the, for their ailments. Some further details. If you if you've been around burn pits while deployed to Southwest Asia on or after August 2 of 1990 or Afghanistan or Djibouti after September 1st, 2001, you can put your name on the registry. The screening questionnaire takes about 40 minutes to complete. And there's a link to the the questionnaire on the story at connectingvets.com. So make sure you head over there and click on that if that call qualifies you. Basically, if I'm looking at the dates here, September 1st, 2001, yeah, it's pretty much any time uh, after September 11th. So as soon as we went to war, that's when it started. So if you deploy to Iraq or Afghanistan, that's you. Now, you may be saying, hey, Jake, I don't suffer any respiratory issues now. Why should I sign up for this thing? Because you might someday. And that's what's important is that you make sure you get coverage for that now. So later on, when if you start suffering respiratory issues, it's not too late. And you can say, hey, this is what caused it. Give me some money, and they'll help you with your treatment and stuff. You can report air report. Sorry, <laughs> you can report exposures to airborne hazards such as smoke from burn pits, oil well fires, or other pollution during your deployments and other health concerns. Uh, several ag- advocacy groups have lobbied for years for the federal government to recognize the litany of medical issues associated with burn pit exposure. Uh, in fact, former Vice President Joe Biden went so far as to say last month he thinks toxic smoke could play a significant role in causing cancer in veterans. And then there's a link on the story where you can go find more information about the burn pits and the burn pit registry. So make sure you head to ConnectingVets.com. Now, I'd, like I said, I have a couple burn pits in my time. I put myself on the list there when I retired from the military, when the, you do the big uh, VA screening and you put every single thing that ever was wrong with you. I put burn pit on there because I know I've been exposed to some. So later in life, you know, if I get respiratory issues, I can report that and say, hey, see, I told you this is what it was. Of course, I should probably quit smoking. Before that, so I can directly point to that and not smoking, but uh, whatever. Anyway, you may have heard that the uh, chief of staff of the VA for the VA secretary has resigned amid the scandal. If you're not tracking the scandal, basically, as I understand it, Secretary David Shulkin is accused of 
take of using government funds to purchase tickets and for taking gifts and in the form of tickets to Wimbledon tennis tournament uh, during his time as the VA secretary. Let's take a look at this story. This is reported by our own Caitlin Kenny. Uh, secretary David Shulkin's chief of staff resigned suddenly Friday. The resignation is the latest development in the travel expense scandal that has rocked the department over the last few days. Vivica Wright Simpson called me this morning and told me she wasn't going to be in this environment anymore, Shulkin told the Military Times on Friday. The Military Times also reporting that Simpson left after a report was released Wednesday from an inspector general investigation that accused her of doctoring emails in order to justify having Shulkin's wife as an official guest on a trip to Denmark in July of 2017. Shulkin suggested to reporters on Thursday that Simpson's email account had been hacked and that someone had been impersonating her. Uh, I don't know about that. Look, I'm not the one to um, uh, place judgment, but it seems to be a go-to uh, thing these days. If you have incriminating emails, oh, I, I, I was hacked. Someone is impersonating this person. Uh, it's, I mean, the, the, the whole thing of this is why would someone hack the VA secretary to make it look like he had improper travel? I mean, if you're going to, this is my logic and maybe this tells you where my brain goes, but if you're going to hack, go through all the trouble of hacking a government official's email server, you might as well go all out and say like the person was, you know, caught with there's that old saying in politics, the only thing that can end your career is being caught with a live girl, uh, a dead girl or a live boy, you know, let's you know that's an old saying. But if you're going to frame someone for something, you frame them for something huge, something big, like misuse of millions of dollars. Whereas this is like, uh, I think like it's like twenty, twenty five thousand dollars of misspent. Not saying that that's not a bad thing if it actually happened, which it looked like it does. I'm saying that if you're going to go through the trouble of hacking someone, you don't put small potatoes on the pl on the plate, you know. Anyway, Shulkin also told Military Times Friday that Simpson's resignation would not change his plans to review the actions of his staff involved in the scandal. Simpson worked for the VA for 32 years and served previously as the chief of staff of the Veterans Health Administration under Shulkin. So that's the big to-do over there. And um, I really, like I said, I can't pass judgment I don't know how all the facts. We're learning the facts as they develop here at ConnectingVets.com. But it sounds like something kind of fishy was going on there. But you know what? We'll just have to see them unfold. the facts unfold as they do. Now, here's something I want to talk about. I'm going to bring the mood down a little bit. Uh, we all know of the tragic shooting that happened on last that happened last week at a Florida high school. 17 people were killed. 14 were injured. And uh, there's a story on task and purpose that is really, really makes you, it doesn't make you feel good, but it makes you feel something, makes you feel something positive. Like there was real acts of heroism there. I mean, we always hear when it's, it's sad, I have to say, we always hear because when these things happen, not on often that you hear of heroism of people like teachers or coaches, but this is about a student that went out of his way to save the lives of his fellow classmates and to end up costing him his. I'm, I'm talking about J.R.O.T.C. Cadet Peter Wang. P 
Peter Wang gave his life to save his fellow classmates when a disgraced former student opened fire at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. But uh, And now hundreds of service members and veterans across the U.S. are working to ensure that this JROTC cadet sacrifice is remembered forever. After the reports emerged that the 15-year-old freshman, 15 years old, was last seen alive wearing his JROTC uniform and holding the door for other Stoneman Douglas students to escape. The, Reddit, the moderators of a Reddit forum, r slash military, immediately began working behind the scenes to honor Wang's heroism. You see, that's the thing. Like, we all like to talk about how we would act during an event like that. And most of us as adults would say, oh, well, we try to do something. We try to help people, like hold the door or maybe, you know, try to get a leg up on the gunman or something. But this kid was 15 years old. When I was 15 years old, if something like that had happened at my school, I would have been cowering in the corner crying. That's, you know, because, well, I was an immature teenager. But anyway, I couldn't, I don't think back then I could have handled standing inside and holding the door for other people. I would have been the first out the door, you know, it, and, and that's just me. And, and that's not saying I was a coward. That's saying as a 14 or 15 year old, a freshman in high school, you don't normally have that kind of courage. But this kid, again, JROTC cadets, he had obviously some form of discipline. He had some drive to help people. I could see this guy, this kid probably was going to go on to be a military man. It's, it's sad. Um, uh, the Reddit martyr, moderator, moderator, I apologize, R. Bevins, says that we saw so many posts by people who wanted to step up and come together as a community to provide support for the family. Uh, Bevins is a former Army fuel specialist and Iraq veteran who asked not to be identified by name, and he told us to task and purpose on a phone interview. Uh, the outpouring of support was immediate and tre tremendous. The moderators started with nothing, says Bevins. Within a few hours, we had folks stepping up for a color guard team to send interpreters for mourners, folks reaching out to, for the Army band. People are passing this up the chain of command across all branches. Uh, while, the wall, while the Wang family plans on having the JROTC honor guard at Peter's funeral on February 20th, they told our slash military organizers that they would love it if there could be a military presence. They wrote this in a recent update. And for those unable to attend the military ceremony for Peter, our slash military has provided details on how well-wishers can send patches or challenge coins to the Wang family as a sign of respect for their son's sacrifice. I'm going to do that now. I know that for a fact. I'm going to do that. I have a challenge coin. I got a patch I could send him. Giving someone a patch or a challenge coin is an honor, a sign of appreciation and a respect for a serious achievement, R. Bevins told Task and Purpose. JROTC isn't technically part of the military, but what Wang, Peter Wang did truly exemplifies the, embodies the highest values of selfless service. And then there are details on the Task and Purpose uh, website on how you can honor the family. Uh yeah, that's pretty much it right there. And, you know, I just got to say, like I said, this kid is a hero in every sense of the word. At 15 years old, decided he was going to put his neck on the line and save and help save fellow classmates, and it ended up costing him his life. I don't know. Look, I don't know what people – when we were in high school, we used to make fun of the JROTC cadets, and everyone did. We called them the junior rejects on the campus. You know, everyone – 
made fun of them. I was in there for half for one semester, and you know I left because I couldn't handle the discipline at the time. But uh, we make fun of them all the time. But this kid obviously just embodies the military spirit of selfless service. That's one of the army values: is selfless service. This kid embodied that at his final moments at 15 years old. So if you feel like you want to send a challenge coin or a patch or you want to do something to help out the Wang family, please go to taskandpurpose.com and search for the story about Peter Wang, Florida shooting memorial. Okay, we're going to turn to a slightly more upbeat story, even though it's still kind of questionable. Veteran groups rally around the VA secretary amid rumors of a looming dismissal. This is coming from the Military Times. Veteran groups, veteran groups are scrambling to show support for embattled Veterans Affairs Secretary David Shulkin amid reports that the White House may be considering forcing him out of the job over a series of internal fights with administration staffers. We have been encouraged by the great progress of Secretary Shulkin has made and believe that he remains the best person to lead this important federal in- public institution on behalf of the American people. That's coming from the American Legion National Commander Denise Rohan in a statement on Monday. Rohan also says, while we were disappointed to learn of the recent issue with the Secretary's travel, we believe that the current controversy surrounding the Secretary is part of a larger effort to remove him and install others who would take steps to privatize the services provided to our nation's heroes by the Department of Veteran Affairs. That's been the big ticket issue lately is the privatization of the VA. It started with the choice program where the you know you can have money to go see your uh any doctor you want outside of the VA uh, system. And people are worried that it's going to continue to full privatization. And I can't speak on whether that's a good thing or not. I think that uh, the private sector has maybe has better doctors. The private sector is usually better than the government. I'm, you know, this is just my opinion. So don't take that as, you know, written stone, but that's, I mean, but privatization is a thing that worries a lot of uh, veteran groups. Last week, an inspector general's report into an overseas trip by Shulkin last July found multiple violations by department staff on federal ethics rules, including improperly paying for his wife's travel with taxpayer funds, using VA personnel to arrange sightseeing trips, accepting tickets to Wimbledon tennis match from an English businesswoman, and doctoring emails just to justify those decisions. Shulkin has denied intentional wrongdoing, but has refunded the cost, disputed costs of the trip. He has also called for a wider investigation into hacking of staff's emails related to the controversy and suggested that officials within his own department are using the scandal to undermine him because of policy disagreements. Okay, look. I gotta be careful how I word this, so let me take a second to find my words. That makes it sound like he's circling the wagons. That he's means it makes it he makes him sound more guilty by saying, "Oh, my own people are against me. Everyone's against me, and my emails were hacked, and someone was impersonating my secretary." <sighs> Dude, that's not exactly the right things to say. If look, I know there's a, a slim chance that Secretary Shulkin is listening to this radio broadcast, but if he is, Secretary. Admit wrongdoing and try to move on from that. If you did something wrong, even if it was by accident, you did something wrong. 
I, when I was in the military, I always taught my soldiers that if you mess up, own up to the mistake and tell me it's never going to happen again. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear excuses. I don't want to hear, you know, try to hear your explanations. I just want to hear, Sergeant, I messed up. It won't happen again. And I'm not going to push for action. I mean, I may smoke you a little bit, you know, because, you know, NCOs smoke a Joe, but whatever. But, uh, I mean, I'm not going to push for, like, legal action against you because you came to me as a man, as a human being, and said, I messed up, I did wrong, and it's never going to happen again. But that's just me. That's a little tangent. I apologize. Okay. Um, White House officials and President Donald Trump have not offered public comment on the matter since the report was released last Wednesday. The silence has raised fears among veteran groups that the department may be on the verge of another leadership change and the political turmoil that comes with that. Chris Goldsmith, Assistant Policy Director for Vietnam Veterans of America, says while the VA, what the VA needs in order to progress is stability in leadership. It is a tremendous organization, and it takes an immense amount of time and energy to truly understand it. Dr. Shulkin knows that, knows that system, and his continued leadership is essential to reforming the VA so that our nation fulfills its promise to its veterans. In her statement, Rohan said the Legion's leadership is disappointed by the travel scandal, but also believes that those mistakes are being exaggerated by Shulkin's critics to advance other agendas. She says, recent media investigations have confirmed that several political operatives have taken active measures to undermine Secretary Shulkin, his deputy, his former chief of staff, and their ability to lead. We are 100% opposed to the privatization of the VA and will work vigorously to, uh, to ensure our nation's veterans have efficient, transparent, and properly functioning VA that they deserve. So again, it all comes down to privatization, and I think it's telling that the American Legion, who is one of our our frequent guests, has um, told us before how much they are against privatization. So that goes to show that people are like like the story says they're rallying around uh, Shulkin, and I agree because whether you agree with Shulkin or not, whether you think he did wrong or not, it's important to remember that. In order to be an effective organization, you need consistent leadership. If an if a unit has constantly rotating commanders or first sergeants or sergeants major or any of those types, they're not gonna have they're not gonna be combat effective because they have no consistency. The dialogue and the uh, the environment and the con- the conditions keep changing. On Sunday, AMBET's National Executive Director Joe Chinelli said that divisions within the VA leadership, quote, cannot be tolerated any longer and implored the White House to support Shulkin. He says Secretary Shulkin has worked with us throughout his time at the helm. He's been successful in leading significant changes and laying the tracks for more important reform. The president needs to make it clear that all clear to all that that it is Sec- Secretary Shulkin who is chiefly responsible for ensuring every veteran has access to high-quality health care. Short of that, the success of this administration has enjoyed so far on veterans' issues will cease. Uh, veterans of Foreign Wars Executive Director Bob Wallace said in a statement their organization still supports Shulkin. This political infighting must stop, so we are all so we also support full transparency about what is really going on, he said. The mission of the VA is too important to have this type of behavior impacting employee morale and the trust of veterans in their VA. 
The support isn't universal among veteran organizations, however. Several have remained silent throughout the turmoil in the last few days. Other, like IAVA, the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, said Shulkin needs to accept more responsibility for the current situation. Uh, Paul Reichhoff, the CEO of IAVA, said this is a massive mess spiraling downward fast. Our veterans deserve a VA that works and is clearly not working well enough right now. They also haven't heard anything whatsoever ever from the president about all this. It's long past time for him to tell us what actions he's taking to address this crisis of leadership. All America is watching and waiting. So that's the story right there. And again, you can find more about that on uh, militarytimes.com. And also you can go to connectingvets.com and find out all the latest and greatest things going on in the military community there. You can also follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And we, you follow us, you will get all the latest goings on. You'll know exactly what's happening. So, as I said, coming up in the show, we're going to be talking with Justin Brown from Hellvets about the latest goings on on Capitol Hill that involves the military community. And after that, we're going to talk with Megan Myers from the Army Times, who's going to tell us about the title of her article is uh, Land Nav, Iron Sights, and More Discipline. Big changes coming to the v, to the Army basic training. So I am very interested in that. So I can't wait to see what's going on with that. So make sure you stick around here on the morning briefing for Tuesday February 20th, 2018. Super producer Jake Hughes here sitting in the driver's seat because host Eric Dame is doing some fantastic stuff this week. So make sure you stick around because we have a lot of great show left and you get a lot of great me left. Isn't that just what's most important? You get me, man. (laughs) Morning briefing. We will be right back right after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. little Iron Maiden to start your day off. See, like I said, that's a good thing with me. When I host the show, you get a little bit of heavy metal in the morning. Kind of gets you jazzed up, ready for work. Anyway, welcome back to the morning briefing for Tuesday, February 20th, 2018. Super producer JQ sitting in the driver's seat because host Eric Dame is taking care of some really fantastic stuff this week that I can't wait to share it for y'all. We gotta wait just a little bit longer till he gets done with it. Anyway, uh, as we always say, follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Bets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us. You'll get all the basic knowledge and all the things popping off in the military veteran community. Now, as we have off, as I have often talked about on the show, I was a U.S. Army drill sergeant, and once upon a time, and one of the things I always kind of lamented was the fact that there was less time involved for us to instill discipline in the troops because we were busy doing other things. And it's just, it, it, it got very complicated and it got very frustrating in that we're trying to make quality soldiers, but there's all these things that really, what is the soldier learning this for? But anyway, some big changes are coming. And to talk about that, we have a very special guest. We have Megan Myers from the Army Times. Megan, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks, Jake. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Now, uh, to get a little bit of a brief bio, I understand you are not a veteran. I so am not. 
Tell us a little bit about your your background and how you got involved with the Army Times. Uh, so I am a journalist by trade, undergrad and in graduate school. Um, and I went to graduate school at Northwestern, which has a final quarter that you can do in Washington, D.C. And when you do that, it's basically a newsroom and there are clients around the country that you can write stories for and send them to. Military Times is affiliated with that program. So not only did I write a little bit for Military Times during that period, but when Military Times has jobs open, they often go to the Medill newsroom in D.C. So I knew nothing about the military, but I wanted to stay in D.C. and I needed a job. So I applied and I got a very entry level job at Army Times and then just learned from there. Well, awesome. Very cool. Now, let's get to your story here. I love the title, uh, Land Nav, Iron Sights, and More Discipline. Big changes are coming to Army basic training. Mm -hmm. So uh, give us a basic... <laughs> basic <laughs> that's a little pun for you. Uh, so punny. Anyway, give us a little bit of basic overview of the story. What kind of changes are coming? So the reason that all the changes are coming is because the Center for Initial Military Training did a big survey of soldiers and leaders, basically all throughout the Army, and drill sergeants, and they're trying to figure out, you know, something's not right coming out of basic. Soldiers are coming into their first unit, and they're just missing things. So what are they missing? How do we fix it? Um, and what leaders said is that soldiers were missing discipline. Soldiers were not in shape. Uh, and so the Army went and looked at this, you know, 10 weeks that they have, and they said, okay, how can we tweak things so that you're a little more squared away when you get there? You can run for longer. You can do, as you know, more push-ups. Um, and their solution was to dial back a few combat skills um, that take up a lot of time, such as qualifying on the grenade course. Uh, specifically, if you don't know how to throw, if you've never thrown a football in your life, you know, getting something that distance with that much height is just, it doesn't come second nature. And drill sergeants were spending hours and hours just teaching people how to get their arm over their head. Excuse me. So... They decided we're going to we're going to get rid of that. You're still going to learn how to throw a grenade. You're still going to practice doing it in a field training exercise, but we're not going to make you go through this qualification course. Uh, then there were some other things. There's going to be a little bit more drill and ceremony. Um, and the PT scores traditionally or for the past couple of decades, you've been able to get by with a less than Army standard PT score in basic with the assumption that once you got to your unit, you just get your life together and you would be able to, <laughs> you'd be able to, to run your mile. Yeah, you know, some magic thing would happen. A fairy would sprinkle dust on you, and all of a sudden you're in shape now. Right, but then there's a hor you know, then they were having a horrible problem with people not being in shape, and so, uh, and so they decided, you know what, like you're gonna need to do the regular army wide standard just to get through, you know, just to get through basic like everybody else, and then little things, you know, training on iron sights instead of just optic. Um, because, I mean, it makes sense. Like, you should know how to do the analog version before you do the digital version. But for whatever reason, they just skip through that. And then sometimes you're out in the field and, you know, the the weapon's not working properly. And so you got to back, go back to the old school and people just didn't know how to use them. Yeah, that's good. And you stick at the PT because, again, in the Army, you have three events. You have the push-ups, the sit-ups, and the two-mile run. And uh, in the regular Army, you got this past each event by 60%. In basic training, it's only 50%. Mm -hmm. So, And I often question that. I'm like, why are we treating teaching soldiers how to not meet the standard the rest of the Army does? And I think so the, the kind of the overall theme of this is just it's where the Army is. So 20 years ago, the Army was – or, you know, 18 years ago, 17 years ago, it's the global war on terror. And so the army is just trying to push people through, get them ready to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. So throwing that grenade was like really key. And, you know, iron sights, whatever, do your do your optical sight. Uh, and same thing with PT and discipline and, you know, dress and ceremony and that sort of thing. 
was just not this big of a deal because you're trying to get people to go to war. And now, you know, op tempo is a little lower. The conflicts are a little, you know, lower level. And they're realizing, like, these kids are not disciplined and they're out of shape. So we've got to go turn it around and be like, you know, now you now you need to be in better shape. We have a more a better understanding of fitness. We take it more seriously. And, you know, whereas before, I don't really care if you if you didn't run as well as everybody else because we needed you to go shoot your gun at people. Yeah. No. And I remember when I was at a uh, station at Fort Hood, I had a soldier that had been in for four years, had never once passed a PT test, mm-hmm. but we needed bodies. So, and every time he would come up for flag or for chapter, a new first arm would come in saying, Hey, we need to keep him. So mm-hmm. that kind of stuff happened. Now, uh, can you tell me about what is the, the, the big issue that came uh, of the tw- it says 27,000 people who responded to the survey was uh, discipline. So mm-hmm. what kind of discipline are they asking for? Like exactly what does that entail? Uh, getting places on time, um, you know, having your uniform looking right. There was some issues of not necessarily laziness, but just, you know, kind of like talking back to, you know, people who are about, just basic things you would never think that anybody in the military would do. But, you know, when you're 19 and you don't grow up in this environment, it apparently was taking people a little bit longer to realize that, like, you're not supposed to joke around with your drill sergeant. That guy's not your friend. Um, Even if he's nice to you, you don't, you know, you still don't treat him like he's your bud. Uh, That sort of thing. Okay. Now, uh, let's see. There's big things. There's fitness, move, shoot, and communicate. Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly uh, what does that mean? Like, what? What processes are they moving for the move, shoot, and communicate portion? Uh, for the communication part, they want to do twice as much time calling in medevacs, um, calling calling in you know coordinates on the radio. For whatever reason, um, the, those were things that people were, and again, things that the Army thought, you know, when you get to your unit, if that's part of your job, your unit will take care of that and make sure that you're trained up on that. Um, but now it turns out people are getting to their units and nobody's ever, you know, called in for a helicopter. So they want to spend more time uh, training people to do that. Okay. Now, um... When I was, I know that at least, you know, for, I have buddies that are Marines and in the Marine Corps, there's a saying, every Marine's a rifleman. Mm-hmm. And there's a big thing they pride themselves on. Now for the army, you know, if you're a, if you're a cook or if you're like, I was a public affairs broadcaster, there's not going to be much call for you to throw a grenade. Right. But is there, has there been any pushback to this? Like people saying that, that no, this is a, a thing a soldier needs to know how to do. I mean, there are the not in my army back in my day, guys. Right, you, every marine a rifleman, but nobody. It's not every marine a grenadier. Like the, it's just not something. Plenty of people, you know, unless you're in the infantry, plenty of people don't even carry grenades when they're deployed. Like, where are you even going to find one if you were in the situation where you might need one? Um, so the pushback has been from people who are not in the army now. <laughs> when you're or people who you know finished basic 10 15 years ago and that's the gold standard and you this you know that's the way i was trained that's the way you have to be trained now it's hard obviously to find people who you know are in basic training now and be like hey come talk to army times about why you think you should qualify on the grenade you're not going to find those people but the idea is that this is based on feedback from drill sergeants drill sergeants the people who are supposed to be you know forming these soldiers they're the ones who said you know what like could we spend less time teaching them how to throw a grenade like can we figure out a way around this so i think that's cimt's you know impetus is like they said this is what they wanted the people at the first unit said hey if they can't throw a grenade that's fine as long as they can like be on time and listen to what what i say when i say it to them that's what i would prefer to have 
Right. And uh, again, going back to my experiences as a drill sergeant, I remember uh, for my first cycle, drill and ceremony was almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Like we would teach them how to march, but we would just march them from place to place. And I remember the first cycle, we didn't even do the drill and ceremony competition because there wasn't time mm-hmm. because we had other things that we had to accomplish. And I think... I mean, when I was in basic training, that was a big thing they pushed on us. We did a lot of practicing on on drill and ceremony, and that's kind of dropped off. Do you think that that is something that's going to help? That just the, the the DNC part? Yes, and probably not so that you are great at marching and you like look all nice in formation. It's more about creating an identity as a soldier. So I was at a talk the sergeant major of the army gave a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about you know a marine he'd met on a plane, and the guy got kicked out for some sort of misconduct. But like he was so proud that he had been a marine, even though it had been short lived, and you know they turned on him. And then he'd met this guy who'd been in the army for like thirty years. Um, and he talked about how he hated it and he had like, he didn't, you know, he didn't tell people he was in the army. There was just not the same identity and the sense of like pride, probably because, you know, they need a lot of bodies and they're pushing people through and they're not sitting down and talking to people about like, this is, you know, you learn your army values, you read your blue book, but there wasn't the same pride put on like, this is how a soldier carries themselves. And this is how a soldier talks to people. And this is how you represent the army. So doing that stuff, the marching, is just more of like a soldierization and less of like it's really important to march. Right. Okay. Now, uh, we know that there's two. There's a couple different kinds of basic training. There's the, the 10-week basic combat mm-hmm. training, but then uh, for certain combat MOSs, military occupational specialties, like, well, I when I came through, I was a 19-kilo, a tanker, mm-hmm. so I went through what's called one-station unit training, which right. is like basic training one day and uh, advanced individual training the next day. Like, we would be marching one day and then on the tanks the next day. Mm-hmm. Are any of these changes uh, going to affect the OSUT par- portions of it? No. Um, basically because, uh, and for instance, in infantry, like you're going to have to throwing a grenades part of your job, right? So they're not going to, they're not going to change that part. Um, and I believe that PT, PT tests in combat MOSs are already at standard. You're not going to, they're not like remedial PT scores. Um, so this will, for OSIT, this will not be as big of a change. And I actually am not even sure that any of these things are going to apply to OSIT, um, in the larger scheme. Okay, I'm reading something here that said medical training will be upgraded as well. Can you mm-hmm. tell me about that? Yeah, so there's going to be, rather than just like your basic um, combat survivor, there's going to be, uh, they're going to focus more on on being able to do that like hardcore triage for every soldier instead of just being like medic and like, you know, holding your hand on somebody for a couple of minutes waiting for someone to come help you. They're going to try to try to increase some of that so that you have, you know, more of a medic skills um, from the very first minute that somebody's injured. Yeah, that's that was a big push. At least I know before we deployed, everyone had to be trained as a uh, combat lifesaver, mm-hmm. which basically the guy that keeps you alive till the medic gets there to keep you alive till you get to the doctor. Right. So um, now it also says that combatives are going to be focused on more. Mm-hmm. What about that? So I yeah, that was one of my big questions because I never would have never really thought about it. Um. So uh, General Frost, the the head of CIMT, his is reasoning for that was basically like it's more of a soldierization thing it gives you it's less that like we really think that you're going to need to like take somebody out in the field it's more of like it gives you confidence like knowing that you could do it gives you confidence makes you a little less you know uh a little less what what is the word i'm trying to say it makes you less reliant on your weapon um and it's just again that kind of soldierization that like i'm a soldier this is how i carry myself i could kill you with my bare hands (laughs) (laughs) um and you know it just gives people like a little bit of pep 
No, and I, I, I agree with that. I mean, when I, when I was in drill sergeant school, we had a full two weeks of combatives because we were going to be teaching soldiers. But in basic training, it was a week, mm-hmm. and that was and that was it. Like We didn't even do what's called the clinch drill, which if you don't know, that's when uh, the drill sergeants are actually going to – they have gloves on. They're actually going to pop you in the face. You got to get close enough to actually get them in a hold. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was fun, especially when there was a drill sergeant leader I didn't like. Oh, yeah. So I got to get up close and – Get her Squeeze in a little bear real hug. tight. Yeah, but that's uh, neither here nor there. <laughs> now, um, for land navigation, I remember that was a big thing for us was knowing how to read a map and how to navigate from grid to grid. What was their logic in taking that out? So it's kind of the same thing with the grenade where they're not going to take the training out. They're just going to take the qualification on the course as a graduation requirement. So you're still going to do it. They have three new field training exercises where they're going to incorporate all these things and kind of test you in the broader sense. But it won't be the same way with the grenade course where they were like, everyone was doing all this remedial training and spending all this time just so that they could pass this course. And it was like, why are we focusing so much on the course when we can focus on the training and like the, you know, the more general things that you need to know? And with that, it's like the same thing. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a tanker. I need to know how to grid in case my GPS goes down. But if you're a administrative assistant or you're a cook or mm-hmm. you're something like that, you don't need to know that because <laughs> as bad as it sounds, you'll have the big bad infantryman next to you to help you. Right. And of course, they still teach you, you know, every Marine or Rifleman, they still teach you all these things because you like you can't be part of the club unless you have this basic knowledge. But are they really going to like spend all this time making you qualify on a course for something that you're never going to use? No. So you'll still learn how to do it. You'll do, you know, a dress rehearsal of it in a fee- in an FTX, but you're not going to have to do the course and have, you know, have that marked down. Right. And I, this is the thing I remember. There was a lot of checking the block when I was a drill sergeant. Like, I remember one time we had to do the day land nav course and the night land nav course. Well, of course, we had two groups of privates that got lost and it took us almost till dark to find them. Mm-hmm. And then when we finally did, there was no time for the night FTX. So we just basically said, hey, we're going to shoot them azimuth and follow this point. Follow me. And we walked them in a big ducks in a row there and said, okay, they did the night land nav. And and I and I agree with that at some point because again this was basic training where he had different MOSs we had you know forty two alphas we had uh you know all these different things they didn't really need that you right. know so um what about the basic warrior tasks and battle drills mm-hmm. like they're increasing that as well yes so that was another thing after after um, PT and discipline it was just your basic warrior tasks and battle drills that uh, that people were people. Uh, first units were uh, complaining about. So that's something that they're going to spend more time on. And again, incorporate that into those three new FTXs, the Hammer, Anvil, and Hammer, what the other one is? Uh, let me Forge. See. Forge, yes. yes. Uh, so let me ask you this. As a civilian who doesn't have, do you have any ties to the military, like any family members or anything like that? No. No? Okay, let me ask Only you this. I know now. What do you think about this? Like, what is this? How does this make you feel? Does it make you feel more confident in the military or like, how does it feel for you? So I always, as someone who's on the outside, I appreciate the military's ability sometimes to have self-awareness and to take its own temperature and, you know, make adjustments uh, in order to progress or in order to do what they're already doing better. Um, I Honestly, I, I would have no, like, I don't know whether someone needs to qualify on a grenade course to graduate basic training like that's not really (laughs) it's not really my place that which is why when people say uh you know in the facebook comments like this is really necessary i'm like all right i'll take that under advisement and i will go back and ask them like are you sure that this is a good idea 
Uh, but generally, I don't think people in the in the civilian world are um, that concerned with the minutia of that. And I think they also probably trust the army to, you know, be able to to adjust things like that for everybody's greater good. Okay. What has been the response? You mentioned the Facebook comments, which mm-hmm. are always such a joy. Yeah, you know, really. Being just... our own, having our own Facebook page and posting stories on there is always like, okay, this guy, thank right. you for that. We appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> what has been the response generally to this, like as far as comments on the website or comments on Facebook, what, what what has been the general feel you've gotten after you posted the story? I mean, overwhelmingly, it's people saying like, "How could you not throw a grenade? Like this is very necessary." Um, I think, but sometimes people don't read as far into the fine print about like, if you're an infantryman, you will still have to qualify on the grenade course. This only applies to people who are never going to carry a grenade, much less throw one. Um, and and but people also on the other side are like good the PT scores should be the same in basic training I don't know why anybody thought that like once you get to your first unit you're just suddenly going to get your life together, um, so so people like that and people also like from you know from your generation who had the drill and ceremony they're like yeah that's that's good we should go back to that I didn't realize that you know so much of that had gone by the wayside, well yeah and going like to to just the whole thing it's like. It says in the story that one of the things it says with uh, General Frost said the number one thing that was asked for fivefold was discipline. Mm-hmm. And I can agree with that because even as a drill sergeant, by the time we reached the end of the cycle, I still had privates that would talk back to me. That would just be aloof, like, "Oh yeah, hey, what's up, drills aren't like no, yeah, you don't exactly. do that. We're not buds, yeah, exactly." And uh, I think the general assumption is once you get to your unit. They'll have more time to focus on this little minutia like PT and stuff, but that didn't work. I remember when I went through uh, OSA, we had the 60-60-60. We still had people that couldn't pass that, mm-hmm. but got through with a waiver. Now, are there still going to be like PT waivers and things like that? Sort of. So at um, at a, latern- a lieutenant colonel level, if somebody is otherwise doing everything right and they're very close to 60 on their PT test, you can waiver them through. Um, and obviously that's going to come with some sort of verbal counseling of like, look, I'm I'm doing you a solid here, but this you, th- this, you know that this is not the standard and that it's not going to be the standard in like three weeks. So you got to figure it out. Right. I understand that. And I have I actually have friends of mine that are in the military right now that are having trouble with that 60, 60, 60, mm-hmm. but they're good soldiers otherwise. Right. So there's I kind of understand that now. um what have you talked to anyone in the military about this? Like, like okay, you've mentioned the comments from the the rabble, 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 not in my army and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But have you talked to like drill sergeants and have you talked to people in and what they think about it? I have not yet. I mean, I've talked to I haven't talked to drill sergeants. I've talked to friends of mine who were in, and they generally have that same like, ooh, I don't know about like taking out you know grenade qualification. Um, but same thing. They like the PT thing. They like the iron sights. They like the idea that everyone's going to be qualified on both because you should be qualified on both. Um, and I think, you know, everybody's, everybody likes more discipline, even, even if some other things have to go by the wayside a little bit. I, everybody likes the idea of having someone who's like a more soldierized by the time that they're, you know, in an operational unit instead of someone who's like, yeah, they can, you know, they can throw a grenade and, and do land nav and they're really good on their weapon, but they, they don't show up on time. Right. Now, um, you mentioned the hammer, ammo, and forge FTXs. Mm-hmm. And had, did they tell you at, in your story when you were doing research, did you find out exactly what's going to be the new structure for basic training? Like as far as how it's going to be conducted? 
Um, they have they there's no like breakdown that they've put out yet about like week by week um, how things are going to look different. But basically, those three FTXs are going to kind of build on each other. So instead of doing like the one big one at the end when it's all for you know for all the marbles, uh, they're going to kind of work up to that with these smaller FTXs. Okay, now the obvious question that you address in your story, but I think comes up is why didn't they just extend the time of basic training like add another week or two to where you can focus on land nav and land nav and throw grenades and all this other stuff so about a year and a half two years ago they were talking about that they were saying you know we people are out of shape they need more discipline so maybe we'll extend basic training by two weeks and it'll just be like pt week and it'll be drill and ceremony week uh then the drawdown ended and the army was made a complete you know 180 and it was like we're gonna grow um, and there was just not enough time and money to be able to, if you know, if you extend basic training, that cuts down on the number of soldiers you can get through basic training. And the Army's trying to grow right now. So um, this was their solution. Instead of making it longer, if the, it's more important for them to grow, right, than to make basic training longer. So they've decided we're just going to tweak things and uh, push some of these skills over to your first unit of assignment. And that way we can continue to grow by several thousand a year, which is the plan for the foreseeable future. Right. And I, you know, part of me gets that because we would uh, like I came in during the surge where there was a time, you know, the surge in in, uh, Baghdad where it was like you couldn't get kicked out. Like, (laughs) I mean, I I knew a couple of guys I went to mean base training and I almost include myself in this that probably shouldn't have graduated base training because they were just like barely making it. Like I just barely passed my first PT test in basic training because I was out-of-shape twig, mm-hmm. we'll say. <laughs> so, I mean, I get that. Now, um, I I asked to ask about the most important and the funnest day for being a drill sergeant in base training, the gas chamber. Mm-hmm. Are they still going to do that? Um, I don't believe so. I think they're going to cut back on that, actually. Uh, it's It it will, they'll still be um, the element of that training, but it won't be the same kind of qualification test that it is now. Um yeah, they didn't actually expand that much on that in our in our interview about it, but it is kind of on the list of things of things that they're thinking about, uh, you know, rearranging. Yeah, I, I mentioned the stories of the individual they replace individual tests on combatives, obstacle courses, gas chamber, and first aid, mm-hmm. as well as previous end of cycle tests. That's very interesting. Now, uh, tell me if people want to learn more and want to read this article, where can they go? They can go to armytimes.com, um, and they can just you just search Megan Myers in the. Um, in the search bar and that's where it will be or on our you know it's on our facebook page too okay so tell me do you have any new stories you're working on right now oh yeah there's a whole bunch of stuff we're working on so this basic training overhaul is the cover story right now um there's a whole bunch of stuff about the security force assistance brigade in the paper this week um i went down to fort polk about a month ago when they were doing their jrtc uh rotation so there's a whole bunch about this new brigade that's going to go um and and be combat advisors in afghanistan um, and then I have I have another. Well, I we'll see. I have a story that I've been waiting on for a long time about a soldier um, at Fort Hood who was thought to be AWOL about a year and a half ago. And it turned out he had flipped his car and was just in the woods for about three and a half weeks before anybody found him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, uh, Megan Meyer, thank you so much for appearing on the show. We really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Morning Briefing for Tuesday, February 20th, 2018. I'm Jake Hughes. Eric Dame is your host, but he's away this week. And again, we want to thank Megan Myers and Justin Brown from Hillbets and everyone. We will see you tomorrow with another great show. See you then. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. 
In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.